The following is a CSPN Media podcast presentation. Hello, and welcome to Know the Score. I'm your host, Don DeLorente, and I'm joined once again by the Libra icon, Dwayne. What's up, bud? Not much, man. Long day at work, um, possibly a game tonight at Bridgestone, or we'll be doing at a bar somewhere. So we're just playing the waiting game right now. All right. Know the Score is being brought to you by CSPN. You can find us on the web at cspn.us. You can also find us on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, and Stitcher Radio. You can follow the show on Twitter at KTS Pod. You can follow me on Twitter at Don DeLorente, and you can follow Dwayne on Twitter at The Libra Icon. Dwayne, this past Thursday, it was the NFL draft, so a lot of young men became instant millionaires. They realized their childhood dreams, and they got, in some cases, to go play for their favorite teams, and in other places, they got a chance to make a name for themselves, do homes, hopefully, for 15 seasons at, you know, 10 at the least, good health to all of these young men. So, the, you know, rumors were starting to come out that Cleveland, contrary to all the reports prior leading up to the draft, not Sam Donald, but Baker Mayfield was their choice with a number one pick. So, Dwayne, get your thoughts on just, you know, like we said, for a couple of days, three or four days leading into the draft, it was starting to get louder. But you never know. You know, a lot of people put out smoke screens. But this wasn't a smoke screen. So what do you think about Baker Mayfield taking his unique skills to the Browns? I really think that this is going to be the quarterback that reverses the curse. And the reason why I say that is that Baker Mayfield has the moxie. He has the confidence. He has the belief in himself. And he is a very, very good player. He talks a lot. He is brash, but he can back it up. And, you know, he started as a walk-on, of course, undersized at Texas Tech. Didn't think he would be uh, – didn't think – people didn't think he would make it. He made it. Uh, walked on at Oklahoma. People didn't think he would make it there. And he became one of the best quarterbacks in – I mean, I won't say, well, you know, the best, but definitely among, you know, sooner sooner grades. I mean, you look at the numbers, but um, – I really think that he has the confidence, he has the belief in himself, and his teammates, he's such a great teammate, and I think everybody will rally around him. Uh, He's got a great mentor, Tyrod Taylor. Uh, He's got Todd Haley um, pretty much running the show on the offense. Uh, Hugh Jackson has pretty much said that he's handing over the offensive reins to Todd Haley. Um, Hugh Jackson is a quarterback wizard, so... I think that if, you know, I mean, with, he had Deshaun Kaiser. And I mean, you can't, you can't turn shit to sugar, I mean, with everybody. But I think that with Baker Mayfield, he has what it takes to be a great quarterback. I believe that he will be a great quarterback when he gets the chance. He has proven himself on every level so far. And I just believe why not, why not? You know, why can't he do it at a pro level? And probably this is going to be his biggest challenge. I mean, we know Cleveland is a black hole for quarterbacks, but I think this is where the buck stops. 
Yeah, he's probably the quarterback the Cleveland Browns have drafted with the most swag and just, you know, inward confidence in himself since Bernie Kosar. You know, Bernie Kosar was kind of a jerk. People didn't really like him, but he was really good in Cleveland, and he's probably their, you know, best quarterback that they've had in the last 30 years at least. Right. So exactly. hopefully, you know, that does, you know, um, formulate up there in Cleveland because those folks have suffered for so long and are so loyal. Uh, joining Baker May- Mayfield with the fourth pick, the Browns selected Denzel Ward, cornerback from Ohio State. Now, this was maybe even a bigger shot than them getting Baker Mayfield because everybody just kind of assumed that Bradley Chubb would be, you know, the next guy or maybe even Saquon Barkley still. Um, well, you know, he was off the board then, so, you know, Chubb uh, would be the next best player if you're looking for just talent-wise evaluation. But they chose Denzel Ward from Ohio State uh, to replace Joe Hayden. Uh, That was a weak part of their defense last year was their secondary after he departed for Pittsburgh. So what do you think about Denzel Ward? That's a lot of pressure for a cornerback. We don't usually see cornerbacks go this high in the draft uh, here lately. So just talk about Denzel Ward and how he fits in with the uh, Browns. Well, I love Denzel Ward's story. I mean, he's from Northeast Ohio. He's from that area, uh, Ohio State product, and he's actually the he was actually the best defensive uh, back in the draft. And looking back on it, and so when you look at what the things he can do on the field, and even Baker Mayfield was impressed by what he could do because you remember Oklahoma and Ohio State played each other, so he Baker Mayfield knows his new teammate. <laughs> Uh, from what he saw in game film and vice versa. And and I really think that it is a good fit for the Browns. Uh, this is a good replacement for Joe Hayden. You know, I think he will be the shutdown corner that we'll be talking about in the next um, three, four, five years, maybe even sooner than that. You know, maybe have a major impact already, especially, you know, high pressure would be in that fourth pick. But I think – he can live up to it. Um, you know, his father was a principal and and um, one of the a very popular figure in in the area in the Northeast Ohio area. He died suddenly, and uh, he's very grounded. And I love the fact that you know during the pro day and his uh, at the combine, he raised money for a scholarship fund in his dad's honor. So, a great kid. I really want him to succeed, you know, and I just think that Cleveland got to, I think Cleveland, John Dorsey did a good job. I I don't think he whiffed on these picks at all. And, you know, we were very surprised with Baker Mayfield getting that first pick and even more surprised with Denzel Ward, but I don't think they, I really don't think the Browns did a bad job. I think they did a lot better than the draft day movie. So good job for Cleveland. And uh, they also added running back from Georgia, Nick Chubb, in the second round. So, yes, Nick Chubb and Duke Johnson. Think about that backfield. That is going to be a very nice tandem. And Tyrod Taylor is pretty much a third running back with the way he uses his legs. And so, um, great, great pick for the Browns and Nick Chubb. And can't wait to see him and Duke do damage in that backfield. All right. As we uh, said before, the Giants selected Saquon Barkley at number two. So they filled their running back hole that they've had for the last several seasons. Uh, Everybody would say that this is probably athletically the best athlete, best just pure talent in the draft. 
So the Giants fans have to be extremely happy uh, with this election. And we'll talk about the other New York team. We'll talk about these two uh, teams together. The Jets got their quarterback of the future as they picked Sam Darnold at number three. So, you know, the Giants got their man. The Jets look like they got their man. Uh, you know, who do you think is going to be able to get their team back to prominence faster, Saquon or Sam Darnold? Probably Saquon. I mean, because you got Odell Beckham still. He's still a Giant. And so he – and as ineffective as he's been the last – a uh, few seasons. I mean, you still got Eli Manning, even though he's getting up there in age. But uh, you, I think Saquon will have the bigger impact on on the between the two New York teams. Sam Darnold will be the quarterback of the future, but I don't think he's going to be an ins. The Jets are going with Josh McCown already to start out the season, so uh, Sam Darnold will probably get his shot in the season and take over from there eventually, but. Uh, Josh McCown, he did have a good, he did have a decent season. I mean, don't get, don't get me wrong. Uh, the Jets had a, remember we were pretty much talking about how much of a dumpster fire the Jets were, but they played a lot better than a lot of these teams in the AFC. So Sam Darnold's going to be the guy in the future, but um, uh, Saquon Barkley will be the guy immediately having that instant impact for the Giants because, like you said, Don, they don't. They have the running back from the, that they didn't have in the last several seasons. Probably since Amon Bradshaw uh, left the team and went to Indianapolis. All right, next up, Bradley Chubb. He's going to join Von Miller out in Denver as he was the fifth pick. Um, I was kind of curious. Um, um, you know, Prey thought that maybe he would go a little bit higher in this draft, but he did not. And Denver, who was in the need for a quarterback, was like, oh, can't pass this guy up. So the tandem of Bradley Chubb and Von Miller uh, looks to be very formidable out there in the uh, NF- uh, AFC West. Excuse me. Um, Josh Allen, he's going to be spinning it up in Buffalo as he was the seventh pick. Um, probably the best place for him um, because of the weather conditions. It's similar to what he played in in Wyoming. Buffalo needs a big, strong quarterback to cut through the wind. And, you know, if you're not going to be that accurate to begin with, you know, Buffalo would probably be the good place for you because the deeper throws, he's a lot better on than the cut throws. So, right. um, at the surprise of the draft to me, Calvin Ridley, right receiver from Alabama, dropped all the way to the Falcons at number 26. So, um, defensive coordinators in your division, sir, are going to be uh, staying up at night. As I heard, the plan is they want to put him in the slot mm-hmm. to, to start out, and uh, yeah. there is no third cornerback on any team good enough to cover him. If that's, right. if that's the plan. I mean, if you think about that, uh, Julio, Sanu, and Ridley, yeah, it's a pretty, it's a three-headed monster. Not to mention um, the running backs coming out of the backfield that can catch the ball as well. Right, but we all know it's the question mark's going to be a quarterback. Um, Matt Ryan, he's a good quarterback, but, I mean, he got this big contract, but we know how pressure and the Falcons, they don't mix, so... Um, <laughs> Yeah, just going off of past history, 20 to 3. The Patriots, they snagged running back Sony Michelle with their first round pick. I think a lot of people, you know, are definitely praising that pick. Um, They definitely are going to have a lot of fun using him in a million different ways. Woo! 
Sorry, Celtics are by. <laughs> Celtics are all by two. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, the Ravens. They traded back into the end of the first round, and they were the ones who selected quarterback Lamar Jackson. So, what do you think about Lamar? He's going to get at least a couple of years, and you know, I guess if things work out the way they should where he can just sit behind Flacco and, you know, pick up the offense, get some experience without having to actually play in, you know, real live games. So what are your prospects for, you know, Lamar Jackson going to the Ravens? Uh, I think this is a good landing spot for him. Very good landing spot. And he's going to be the guy taking over when and it, when the Ravens get rid of Joe Flacco. It's not an F. It's just a matter of when. Um, the, it's pretty much down to – um, picking up the offense, starting the offense, and taking advantage of the opportunities when you do have them. And we may see Lamar Jackson sooner than we think. I mean, if Joe Flacco is extremely ineffective, there's no reason to keep him in. And, you know, no reason to have that first-round pick just sitting there waiting in the wings. So um, perfect spot for Lamar, perfect uh, place. Uh, Ozzie Newsom was probably his last draft as a Ravens GM. He did a good job. All right. In some uh, non-draft news, <laughs> Jason Witt retires from the Dallas Cowboys, and it's speculated that he's going to take over for John Gruden as the color analyst on Monday Night Football. So this was a shock to most people who came on the sec- on the Friday, second day of the draft. Uh, definitely changed Dallas's draft board for sure because, you know, uh, there was no type of uh, warning that this was coming down. So, um, you know, your thoughts on Jason Witten's career and, you know, the next move for him in the Cowboys. Oh, oh over time. Yeah. That's, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh. Was that Covington? Has he hit anything today? Um, Covington. Bellinelli hit the jumper. Oh, okay. Covington's only had one point in this game. He pulled a Ben Simmons today. Yeah. Yeah. Getting some uh, wow. live, live recap action here on this uh, another score. Yeah, so um, on the subject of Witten, definitely a definitely a Iron Man of the game, and you know it's really really kind of disheartening that he was such a great tight end for a Cowboys team that only could win one playoff game. But the the um, imagine if he was playing in the Aikman era, imagine if he was like. A, better Jay Novacek or something like that. So um good good career, excellent career. He's definitely a Hall of Famer. And I can't wait to see what he does in the booth. Um, will he be able to show his passion of the game? And will he be a no nonsense kind of color commentator? Will he have some humor to him? But a lot of people have always, you know, said that he's a consummate professional, so He's going to be great at whatever he does um, and just hats off to a great career. But at the end of the day, I think, you know, he he, he can get – he can catch the ball in short yardage situations, but, you know, he can't – he can't um, – he's been rumbling and bumbling and slowing down a lot. So it's good to see that he's going to call it on his own terms and – you know, go do what he wants to do after that. Um, I, for one, I'm glad to see him go because uh, 
We could never cover that man inside the red zone, even though everybody knows the ball was going to him when he played us. Somehow he still managed to get open, rumbling and bumbling and stumbling all the way. So I am, for one, glad to see Jason went and go. He's tormented me for too many seasons. Uh, but, yes, great career. Uh, put up some some great numbers. I think he leads the uh, Cowboys in, like, yards, receiving, or receptions, one of the two. Both, I think. Yeah, I mean, he's got some, you know, some pretty outstanding numbers for a tight end that you don't really see, you know, held, you know, those type of records held on most teams by a tight end. But that just, right. tells, you know, like you said, how just how good he was at getting open and controlling the middle of the field. Mm-hmm. Our last bit of NFL news, uh, Dwayne touched on it a little earlier. Matt Ryan signed a five-year extension. It's going to pay him $30 million a season. And he gets a hundred million guaranteed. Uh, he he's the new highest paid player and quarterback in the league as he pushed past Kirk Cousins, who Kirk Cousins got to twenty eight million from oh God. Uh, the Vikings uh, earlier this spring. So, uh, as you said, you know Matt Ryan's got stability. We you know he's a great regular season quarterback. He's still looking for that ultimate success of winning the Super Bowl, but uh, he's definitely solidified as one of the top five. Uh, quarterbacks as, as far as you know thought of anyway in the league by this contract yeah Aaron Rodgers is just sitting there just waiting and waiting I don't payday. know if Green Bay time, has enough cheese time. in Wisconsin that what they're going to be paying <laughs> Aaron Rodgers for he's going to have to get every single <laughs> cheese truck cow everything the Brinks truck anything to keep Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay because yeah, especially if somebody like Matt Ryan's driving up the price. So, yes, Aaron Rodgers said, your payday is coming in. If it isn't going to come from Green Bay, somebody will shell it out for you. Definitely, definitely, definitely. This is Another Score. We are on the CSPN. You can find us on CSPN.us. You can also find us on SoundCloud, Stitch Radio, Google Play, and iTunes. I always forget iTunes for some reason. All right, next up. Dwayne, NHL playoffs. Uh, we've got some games pending uh, after the recording is done. So we have the Capitals and Penguins, which are one of those games that are both tied at two here. The Penguins got up off the mat and uh, got back into the series. Uh, it was an overtime win. The Capitals surprisingly sprinted out, uh, had a 2-1 advantage. But, uh, you know, Pittsburgh, a little bit of home picking, kind of found their stride. So, uh the best of three now yeah. between Ovechkin and, and, and Crosby, basically. Can Ovechkin finally slay the dragon? I always, I know they've played so many times in the regular season, but I always like to just say this is Ovechkin Crosby four since this is their fourth playoff series against one another. And you know how I always say the Toronto Raptors are on the prove it level, Dom? Mm-hmm. The Washington yep. Capitals for years have been on the proven level. Um, even at one point, we was compar- there's comparisons of Ovechkin to LeBron because he could not get out of the second round. At least LeBron has finally got out of the second round. Ovechkin has not, even after all this time. And and the problem is he got he went from a coach that could not get out of the second round, Bruce Boudreaux, to another coach that can't get out of the second round, Barry Trotz. So, yes, the Capitals raced out to a... 2-1 lead. Pittsburgh, of course, played desperate at home, got the W they were needing, and they're up one nothing right now in Washington as we speak, as we record this. So, right now, my confidence level in the Capitals is at 
pretty much negative levels at this point. They gotta just prove it and just prove me wrong. Like even when you want to, you want to root for a guy like Ovechkin because he has put up some monster numbers over his career, but you just see it just wasting away. Like and with the Capitals, how how much are you gonna keep on investing and investing until for a second round exit? It's like you're you're getting one of the highest payrolls. You're getting a lot of presidents' trophies for second round exits and no Stanley Cups. So you can't even get to the Eastern Conference final. So at this point, I gotta stick with Crosby until things change at this point. All right. The Tampa Bay Lightning lead the Boston Bruins three games to one after an overtime victory in game four. Uh the Lightning are just outskating them. They're just faster. They're they're relentless as far as putting pressure on uh the Bruins goal. I mean, good grass, gosh, yeah. it's almost like a two to one advantage in shots in the series uh, through mm. these uh, five games or four games that they played going into game five here. So, uh, can the Bruins, you know, extend this out and, and try to get back in the series, or is this pretty much, you know, the Lightning just a foregone conclusion that they're going to be in the uh, Eastern Conference final? Well, in the cup? yeah, so pretty much. Um, the Lightning woke up after Game One when the Bruins won six to two in Game One, and so when the after that six to two win, excuse me, the Lightning is kind of just like something, something woke them up, and and uh, they've been you know they scored four goals in each of the last three games, and and uh, they like I said they've been out playing the Bruins. Um, the Bruins actually outshot the Lightning. In Game Four, and that was the only. This was the only game where they um, outshot Tampa Bay, and it wasn't by much either. So, uh, but like you said, the Lightning are just fast. They shoot the puck well. They play uh, solid defense. They hit the forecheck really well, and they've really slowed down Boston's attack. Because this Boston team that was in the first round against Toronto is definitely not the same team that's going up against the Tampa Bay Lightning and. And the crazy thing about it is you really you really would have thought that this team would have um if you look at these two teams in the regular season, they were separated by a point. One point, but we see who's the superior team right now. And um, you know, game five in Tampa Bay, I think they close it out. Uh Boston's really gonna have to f- scrap a good game plan together. Tuka Rask is not good. In elimination games, anyway, uh, whether it's closing it out, closing out the series, or trying to stay alive, uh, he hasn't really been that good. So um, I want to go with Tampa Bay. Um, I would love to see Boston go back to the Garden for Game Six, but uh, it's a very long shot for that happening. All right, the Golden Knights as they lead the Sharks three games to two after uh, five three in Game Five. Now a lot of people. Have a an easy feeling about the Knights. They they don't like the fact that they're so good in their first year. And I'm one of them. Like, it looks like they're gonna have a chance to go to the Stanley Cup as they have this. Uh, you know, going back home to Game Six, or is that in San Jose? That's in San Jose. Okay, game Six is in San Jose, so they've got the Game Seven at home if needed. But you know, good teams win these games on the road. So, do you think besides the fact that they don't like how good they are? What do you think about their chances? They have a good chance. They do. 
but I'm riding with my team. My team says they're going to be back in Vegas on Tuesday, and I'm standing by them. So game six, San Jose is going. They're going to turn up the tank. We're going to get this victory in game six. I mean, if you look at it, they were up 4 nothing. They were cruising. San Jose scored three goals to get back in it at 4-3. They could not get that fourth equalizer. Uh, I think Vegas realized that this isn't a team that's going to lie down like the LA Kings. So they kind of woke up and was like, okay, we really need to get this empty net goal to make it 5-3, which they did. Credit to them. Slow golf cut. But but uh, my team is going to go to the tank. We got the, I think we got the momentum for game six. I think we will show up in game six tomorrow night, and we will be back in Vegas for game seven. And now what will happen in game seven, I'm not going to you know, proclaim victory because anything can happen in the game seven. Uh, but I am definitely hoping that I definitely want to see a game seven. Uh, the Knights have had a great season. They've taken advantage of the very lax expansion rules that other teams didn't have the luxury of having back in the day. So, and they built a good team around it. So, um, whoever is the 32nd team, whether it's Seattle or somebody else, they need to get that same treatment. So, um, hats off to Vegas, but this ain't over just yet. All right. In the final series in the NHL playoffs, we have the Jets and the Predators. They are both tied at two games apiece, and they have their game five pending uh, later on as we record the episode as well. So, crucial game five. Who do you think takes the advantage in this series that I know is near and dear to your city and, uh, you know, your job is uh, about an hour or, you know, or maybe a little bit less. Yeah, you know, pretty much. Yeah, so this was a def- – Predators definitely got that when they needed 2-1 in game, in game four, especially after they blew a 3-1 nothing lead in the first period and lost seven to four in game three. So that just shows uh, both teams have won on each other's home ice. But I think the Predators, they needed to win more. I think they take that momentum from game four, uh, getting that win back in Winnipeg. And, you know, you're going to a jacked-up Bridgestone Arena. Uh, the crowd's going to be insane. I'm still trying to see if I'm going to be working that as we speak right now, but um, right at the moment, I think the Predators take game five. Winnipeg takes game six, and uh, we're going to have a game seven uh, Tuesday, on uh, Wednesday, Wednesday night, and uh, here in Nashville. All right. Yeah, so the drama of the NHL playoffs continues to build and build, and uh, we'll continue to keep you updated here on Another Score. Just want to let you know that this week's show is being brought to you by the good people over at Amazon. Amazon.com has been down with the CSPN from day one. So please go over to CSPN.us, click on the menu tab, scroll down, then click on the link that says support and keep the podcast free. That'll take you to a list of all of our sponsors, not just Amazon. But for today's show, Amazon is the winner. So click on Amazon and they will take some of the purchase that you make to them, give it back to us so we can keep the podcast free for you each and every week. So CSPN.us and Amazon.com do it today. NBA playoffs, the Celtics and the 76ers are currently in locked in an overtime battle. 
It looks like Boston has a chance to tie it up here in the late seconds, and we might get a double overtime. So um, the drama is definitely in Philadelphia as Philadelphia is trying to get up off the mat as Boston uh, used a big third quarter to win game one. And then Boston overcame a 20-point second-quarter deficit. 22. Yeah, to go up two games to none. So uh, in that second game, it was just Brad Stevens. He's the best X and O's coach in the playoffs that's currently remaining. And uh, he just out-tacticaled Brett Brown there in the second and in the third quarter. And and Boston ended up getting that uh, second game. So um, right here we're in a nip and tuck battle. Looks like Philadelphia is up by bucket. Coming down here, a couple of possessions to go. So just talk about uh, Brad Stevens and the job he's done with the undermanned uh, Jalen Brown uh, did not play in game one. Um, and just talk about, you know, the effort that Boston's put forth going up against Embiid, Ben it's, Simmons, and his talented 76ers group. It's been next man up for the Celtics. Uh, that's been their mantra all season. Starting with the Gordon Hayward injury. Um, you know, next man up was Jason Tatum. Uh, Jason Tatum's role elevated pretty quickly, and he learned on the fly. Jalen Brown, he steps his game up as a rookie. Uh, Terry Rozier, after Kyrie Irving went down, and and then you lose you lose, um, you lose lose Kyrie Irving, you lose Daniel Tice, Aaron Baines has stepped up. Like, all these guys that have come off the bench. And when Marcus Smart was hurt for a while, it really became Terry Rozier's time to shine. And he's taken the he's just taken a, advantage of every opportunity, and he's flourished so far in his playoffs. And right now, I just think that the team is really doing a great job. Brad Stevens is definitely one of the best coaches in the NBA when it comes to you know tat, being tactical, strategizing, uh, doing a whole lot of. You know, he's been really, really, you know, really great at doing what he's been doing. And don't get me wrong, I still think Brett Brown um, gets head coach of the year uh, in Philadelphia with the job he's done with the Sixers. But uh, those two games in Boston, he was clearly outclosed. And I think the Sixers, I think the Sixers, when, you know, we got on the, we started saying, hey, maybe this team could be, the team to dethrone LeBron, but I think, you know, their eyes kind of got a little bit wide as the lights got brighter, you know, and they, and then, when you know, if you're looking in the light, <laughs> you start to squint and you start to clam up a little bit, so uh, they got the nerves, got the best of them, but I think they're playing a really good game today in game three as we speak. It's uh, still 98-97. Um, I don't know. I'm just looking at the play-by-play. Uh- Boston couldn't get the ball inbound, so they had to take a timeout. Okay, so yeah, so uh, so right now, um, you know, this is a good battle, um, and I and I did say Philadelphia has a good chance to get the series back. I mean, Boston hasn't won a road game in the playoffs this postseason just yet, so uh, we should see, you know, how the end plays out, and uh, but it's been a good series, been competitive, yeah. I just really like what Boston's been doing so far. It's been a fun ride. Uh, just uh, have fun with it. And Sixers fans, you know, have fun with that. I see Horford made a jumper, and Boston's up by one, so we got to go back the other way. So, uh, 
Mm -hmm. Um, so it's, um, it's going to be a very, very good series. And hopefully, you know, I don't mind a gentleman's sweep, close it out at the garden, but, uh, we'll just wait and see. All right. The Cavaliers, they rallied to steal game one versus the Raptors in overtime. A game that the Raptors had no business losing. I think they were like 0 for 13 or something like that coming down the stretch in the fourth quarter. Right. That, Especially that, last, that last sequence where Jonas Valachunas, how did you miss that tip, man? Right. right. Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Continue down before I go on my Raptors tirade. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> The Al Horford got a, a basically a layup. They kind of inbounded it, like ice, like floated everybody above the line, and then isolated Al Horford in the paint and just dumped it right to him from the uh, out of bounds. It's a really good play by Brad Stevens. Um, yeah, uh, in game two, LeBron James and Kevin Love just dominated. It was kind of like uh, Kevin Love was the first half, LeBron was the second half, and uh, they just blew uh, Toronto off their own home court, and now they lead the series two to nothing. The series is shifting into uh, Cleveland, and that game is about to start in just a little bit. So um, I thought in game two that Tyron Lou worked over Dwayne Casey, and that is the reason why the Raptors have never beaten LeBron James in the series. It's just because Dwayne Casey, his X's and O's just aren't good enough to beat LeBron. Just that simple. You mute it, Dwayne, if you're talking to me, bud. Sorry. Okay. So, yeah, um, well, let's go back to 2011. Remember when LeBron was in the finals against the Dallas Mavericks and he was um, held to eight points in the fourth quarter of that one game? Yeah. You want to know You want to know who the head coach, one of the assistants of that coach, of the Mavericks? Dwayne Casey. Yeah. Ever it's... since then, <laughs> LeBron has figured Still out. Still by Boston. Still by Boston. Woo! Okay. So, um <laughs> So, because of Dwayne Casey, uh, LeBron has even said, hey, if it wasn't for that 2011 finals, I wouldn't be the player who I am today. So, uh, so ever since LeBron figured out Dwayne Casey, Dwayne Casey hasn't had a uh, counter strategy for LeBron, unfortunately. And the Raptors are paying for it. And every single year, we the Raptors keep saying, this is the year, this is our year, this is the team that's going to go to new heights and dethrone LeBron. And every single year, the Raptors go back to being the same old postseason Toronto Raptors. Just the team you can't count on. You cannot count, you cannot count on them, man. And even, I mean, they, they beat the dysfunctional Wizards in six. I mean, let's, I mean, Ball and Beal, they had it together in a couple of games, but for the most part of the season, the Wizards were a sideshow, and they had no business being in six games, but we, we kind of figured that because this is what the postseason Raptors do. Um, it is a final just, in Boston, 101-98, to and the Celtics hey. now lead three games three. to none. Oh, 3-0. All right. I gotta tell my coworker, hey, you said Boston was gonna go up 3-0. But they did, so awesome. Great job. Great job. Shout out to the Celtics. Um I wanted to say though, it's not it's still the best of seven at the end of the day. But Toronto's gonna have to figure 
something out. I mean, you're going to get – you have to continue to let LeBron get his points. But now that the Cavs are figuring out each other, they're figuring each other out at the perfect time. And so it's making the East um, – um, Take the notice, East. reshaping the, the, the narrative. Exactly. That they're not as vulnerable as we maybe thought they were after that Pacers series. Right. <laughs> I think the best shot, the best shot, the the best shot the Cavaliers had, uh, the best shot of people of the field had of throwing the Cavaliers was the Indiana Pacers. Now, I don't know if I don't know maybe Boston can do it, but maybe not. But I just don't see. I mean, Philadelphia is on a break now. I mean, no team has come back from down 0-3 in the NBA in the best of seven. So the team that we thought could have thrown the Cavaliers is on the brink of elimination, and the team that's supposed to be the best team in the East aren't doing anything either. So this could be paid for LeBron to go straight to the finals and face Houston or Golden State, most likely. All right. Speaking of Houston, they used a 39-point first quarter to blow out the Jazz in Utah in Game 3, and they lead the series two games to one. Uh, man, uh, we were. I was out at our rooftop uh, last night, and the game started. I went, got like a drink, and came back, and it was already like fifteen to two. It's like, oh my goodness, <laughs> this is this this got ugly really fast. Um, Houston just, like I said, that that first quarter. I mean, they put the game away right there. Uh, so just talk about now that the series is in Utah. Houston had one off night there. Uh, in the game two, Joe Inglis set a record for Utah with seven made threes. Uh, he had 28 points in that game. Uh, Donovan Mitchell had a sub-bar game for him, but he got help from his mates. But uh, to, what do you think about uh, going into game four? Uh, what's Rubio's status? I know he did not play in uh, game two. Was he back uh, on for game three? He was. Let me double-check that. Um I will let you know. The man has some very interesting fashion sense, though, because in game two in Houston in May, he was wearing a hoodie with a sweater. Yeah, he was. Yeah, he was out for game game three as well. Okay. Yeah, Royce O'Neal was in this place, so that could be why. What could be another factor there? Um. But I think I think and then Donovan Mitchell he had two points in this game in his hotly contested rookie of the year debate with Ben Simmons. But um yeah, the Rockets showed up like they were the number one seed and and uh, silence that Utah crowd with their ugly jerseys and um geological formation basketball court. Um I just think that I just think that um, we'll just have to see how they respond for game five, um, I think game four uh, tomorrow night, and just go from there. Uh, I think when you take that raucous crowd out of the game, you have a great chance of victory because they really didn't have much to cheer about. Um, It really was just – the game just really made for good background noise at a certain point, (laughs) so – um, you know, kudos to the Jazz for making the score respectable, but we saw the truth. So, um, All right. um, 
So uh, we'll just have to see if they can do like they did in game two and bounce back and win game four. All right. The Pelicans out-muscle the Warriors at home to win game three. The Warriors lead the series two games to one. Uh, Steph Curry came back in game two, and uh, it was like he never left. He had 28 points. He was 5 for 10 from three-point range. Really brought a lot of excitement and uh, kind of the free-flowing uh, offense back into the Warriors game. Um, but that was not the case here in game three as uh, Anthony Davis realized that, you know, he's the biggest, strongest player on the court, and he just parked out in front of the rim. Uh, when, and uh, Golden State had an off-night shooting, so it, it allowed for him to have a lot of chances to sprint right down to the front of the rim and get a lot of dunks. Mm-hmm. And and uh, I think we underestimated New Orleans as NBA City, too. I mean, this, this crowd. I mean, of course, teams are going to show – I mean, fans are going to show up in the playoffs, but, you know, everybody – I mean, this team's catching on. Uh, within the Crescent City, I mean, look at the way they were united in red. I mean, I think the Warriors, they realize that this is a team that can run with them. And if they can continue to get those extra contributions from from uh, Drew Holiday and and uh, Nikola Morotic, and I mean, Rajon Rondo had 21 assists in this game along with 10 rebounds. So... Through Holland at twenty one, Moreau just had sixteen and thirteen. Um Ian Clark had eighteen off the bench. I mean, you get contribution like that, um, from all over the place, you have a great chance. And and so uh New Orleans can I think New Orleans can possibly get game four. I mean, they're gonna be on the and you said this would be the perfect place for Anthony Davis to be on the national stage. He will be on the national stage. I think this is one of the first times we will actually see New Orleans on the national stage for basketball on Sunday afternoon when, you know, they play Golden State for game four. Yeah, it'll be definitely the first time since the Chris Paul era. De- definitely the first time since they've been officially the Pelicans and not the you know Hornets that they were for that little time when Chris Paul first came. So, um, yeah, we'll see how uh, this continues to play out. The Pelicans are playing at a break ne- at net breaking pace. Um, they're getting the ball. They're doing the old D'Antoni where they're getting the ball to half court in like four seconds, and they're kind of like at the free throw line or at the three point line with like twenty on the shot clock. And I mean, Golden State just scored. So, you know, it's it's really one of the things that, you know, most teams are afraid to run with the Warriors, but the Pelicans are trying to outrun them. And uh, it definitely worked in game three. Right. And I think – and I, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, no, I think I think that – I think even after game one, even though the Warriors blew them out in game one, uh, Clay and Dre both were like, oh, man, we tired. Like, this team is not San Antonio. San Antonio's one of those methodical teams, and – this Pelicans team, they can show they can run right along with them. So uh, that's what makes it going to be very interesting. And I think now that, you know, you get that familiarity going on and you got that six-man behind you, I think the Orleans can get out of the Big Easy with two wins in an even series. Right. Yeah, that'll definitely be uh, a lot interesting when we go back to uh, uh, Golden State if this game, if this series is tied up at 2-2 two to two for that crucial game five. And – in some NBA news, David Fisdale turned down the Phoenix Suns, and he agreed to become the new head coach of the New York Knicks. So uh, Fisdale, who longtime assistant for the Miami Heat, 
Um, got a job with the Grizzlies, got a season, two seasons, got to the playoffs. It was in the midst of a struggling season. Um, had some disagreements, they say, with um, – um, uh, gosh, I get, why is his name blanking? Uh, big man, uh, Mark Gasol. And uh, in, in, the, in the struggle, uh, Mark Gasol won and David Fisdale lost, so he was removed in the uh, early part of this season. He had been on ESPN – you know, kind of, you know, running out the course of this season. So will your prospects, uh, David Fisdale, uh, you know, getting back in, in second chance to become a head coach with the Knicks, Porzingis coming off of ACL, um, you know, they're still trying to find their answer at point guard and other places. So um, is this going to be a, a, another quick washout for Fisdale or is he going to actually maybe be able to turn this situation into something? Dwayne, your thoughts on Fisdale? Oh, I'm sorry. Um, yeah, so, yeah, sorry about the delay. Um, my thoughts on Fizdale, it's a good hire. Um, I like the fact that I think he learned from the whole Marcus Hall um, era that you can't criticize any player's accomplishments. I think that was one of the deteriorating factors in the Marcus Hall where Fizdale completely dismissed his EuroLeague championships and that was all, all in on the NBA. He's like, I got two NBA titles, or actually three, really. Um, I got, I got these NBA titles uh, with the Sacramento. I mean, I said no. Um, with Miami, I've won championships. You haven't. I've won real championships. So saying those things can rub a player the wrong way, and that's why uh, Marcus Hall and him did not get along. And so now you got to make sure you satisfy and keep Chris Tapsworth as happy. That's your top priority because you do not want to lose a seven foot three Latvian unicorn to free agency. And so uh, you can always restrict the free agency, but I wouldn't. I won't do it. So at the end of the day, Fizdale's a good hire for the Knicks, but um, if they're going to try to get LeBron, which is a long shot, of course, they're going to have to shed some. Uh, cap room and seeing what they can do from there. All right. Yeah. Yeah. I I just think that they just got to get them. They got to get a young player. I mean, it's hard to like, it's hard to turn around in in the NBA without getting one of those top three lottery picks. I mean, to be honest with you, if you get like four and five or six, you got to get you somebody that turns into like Steph, you know what I'm saying? Where they don't necessarily project it when you draft them, but then you get them and they're better than they are if you're not in that top three of the lottery. So, um, you know, it's going to be interesting to see what they do with the draft. And of course, like you said, free agency, they've always, they, they appear like they're going to be a big player, but they never get anybody that's a big name. So we'll see how this works out this time. All right. So at this point, we're going to turn it over to Dwayne for his shout outs, thank yous, and uh, final thoughts. Uh, shout out, as always, to the listeners. I can't do it without you. Um, thank you for having me, CSPN, as always. Uh, shout out to you, Don. Shout out to Jamal. Um, shout out to Jesse Tobias, as always. Uh, Backlash this Sunday. Shout out to the WrestleCast. Um, my final thoughts is going to be on the Carolina Panthers. Um, So they just let go of their defensive back coach because of alleged misconduct in the workplace, sending inappropriate emails, and 
at this point, it's kind of like when with all the stuff that's gone on with um, with um, the big cat Jerry Richardson, why would you put yourself in a position to you know get caught up in this mess? And uh, so they got rid. Uh, Curtis Fuller, the defensive back coach of the Panthers, resigned, um, stemming from workplace misconduct. Um, I believe it was a good move to resign because you uh, probably got swiftly kicked out. Um, but we as men, we had to do better. We had to, you know, tr- treat our women as equals in the workplace, learn to keep our, you know, words to learn to keep our words professional, learn to behave professionally around women as men. And, you know, especially as, especially me personally as a black man, you know, I want to make sure black women are taken care of and treated, you know, with the utmost respect. And, you know, we can't keep having bad examples of this. So, you know, we gotta, we have to do better. And even myself, I say this every day, I always want to try to find ways to do better and be better as a person. And that's all I got to say about that. Just, let's just really, as men, and especially for black men, let's just be better in treating our women the right way. Yes, definitely a great message this week, uh, Dwayne. In your final thoughts, uh, I agree with you 100% in everything that you just stated. Um, my final thoughts and uh, uh, final topics will be about Justify. He just won the 144th Kentucky Derby. So Bob Baffert, after coming off of last year's Triple Crown, gets back-to-back Kentucky Derby wins. As, uh, like I said, Justify, he was the favorite. Uh, it was a rainy day, mucky track, and uh, – he didn't have a speck of mud on him, so uh, he made his way to the front and held off a late charge by the second favorite, Good Magic. And um, so congratulations to Bob Baffert on his Kentucky Derby winner. And I'd also like to congratulate Albert Pujols on reaching that 3,000-hit milestone. He joins Harry Bonds, Hank Aaron, and Alex Rodriguez as the only men in Major League Baseball with 3,000 hits and 600 home runs. So... Uh, there's definitely will be a place in Cooperstown waiting for Albert Pujols. Uh, just, you know, 20 years of, well, technically 19, 20 years of just, uh, you know, excellence. He's had some rough years here in, in, in Anaheim out with the Angels battling with, you know, bad feet and things. But he seemed to have those problems behind him. He's lost some weight. He's playing the field regularly again at first base. And uh, just, you know, proud for him to, you know, stick with it out there. There's a lot of talk about maybe you should retire or they should trade him, but, you know, they stuck with him. And, you know, good to see a guy, you know, by all accounts, a good guy reach such a, you know, historic milestone in the game of baseball. Oh, I got one more thing since you're on the subject of baseball. Is that okay, okay if I do this? Yeah, yeah. All right. Matt Harvey. <laughs> okay. As a Mets fan, I gave Matt Harvey the benefit of the doubt when everybody was in the middle of turning on him. Um, as you know, Matt Harvey was the seventh pick of the New York Mets in 2010. Uh, got to the majors in 2012, and from 2012 to 2015, he was uh, he was the guy. He was the ace of the organization. He was the man, the Dark Knight, the King of New York, baby, King of New York. But the last three years have been awful. 
due to injuries. He had Tommy John surgery. He had a thoracic um, outlet surgery where a rib was removed uh, to help him, you know, pitch better. And at the start of the season, his first start, he looked good. I thought, okay, maybe we will see Matt Harvey back. And then life came at everybody fast. Um, as like sharks that smell. When Matt Harvey's on the mound, hitters are out for it's like they're like sharks that smell blood. And at this point, it was just too much of bad pitching. And the Mets took him down to the bullpen. He didn't want to go. You know, he believes he's a starter. I get it, pride, you know, bruised egos, okay. But, you know, for the best part of the team, you know, you can still be a spot starter, and you got to earn your way back in the rotation. And in the bullpen appearances that he's had, he has sucked flat out. And so the so the next step was to, hey, we may have to demote you to the monitors. Go to Las Vegas, get your groove back, come back. But Matt Harvey refused. So as a result of refusing, Matt Harvey is designated for assignment. His tenure with the Mets no longer um, – and at this point, this Mets fan says good riddance to Matt Harvey. Don't want your ego. We don't want your bad pitching. And I hope you can swallow your pride and go on to some other team and go to the minor leagues and get your groove back and start pitching well again. But, you know, it's a what have you done for me lately business and sports. We all know this. And given the resume, um, it may be a long shot. I mean, somebody will somebody will pick him up, I'm sure. But it's going to be – they're going to have to deal with a lot. And so good luck to the next team. Oh, and maybe you can turn him around, but he's off the Mets, and I think it's going to be a good thing for the team moving forward. Hopefully he does go down to the minors and he embraces it as a chance to kind of, you know, straighten himself out without all the, you know, scrutiny of the New York media on him. And he goes down there and he has a little fun and, you know, he's going to be the wealthiest guy in the situation. So hopefully he goes down there and treats those guys really nice and, you know, and in the process, you know, gets back up to the majors and, and contributes to the Mets before the season is out. And hopefully in August we'll have you come back on here and say, you know, I kicked him out, but I'm gonna welcome him back in because I see he did the work and and took it seriously and everything. So I'm I'm hoping that it turns out good for him and that he finds some joy playing back down in the minors without so much scrutiny. Because I think I think that's kind of what happens in New York. You get hurt, you try to come back, you're not as good, and then of course you know everybody's picking you apart and wondering what's wrong with you, and, and you just don't get a chance to kind of have that much fun anymore. So. Maybe this trip down right. on the farm will, will bring some of that fun back, and Matt Harvey will regain his status as the Dark Knight. Yeah. So on, on that note, for my co-host, Dwayne, the Libra Icon, I'm Don DeLaRente, and now you know the score. Mm-hmm.